Killian Murphy is one of the hottest actors on the planet right now. However, his career goes back all the way to 1997. Let's do an entire career actor spotlight on Killian Murphy. Hello, movie friends. Welcome back to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, the ultimate film and TV podcast. And today, we're going to be discussing a career spotlight of someone who's so hot right now. So hot. So hot. Killian Murphy, who we've been a massive fan of since we were kids, since we saw 28 Days Later. And then we've been a big fan of his. I remember seeing Red Eye. I remember seeing Batman Begins in theaters, always really liking him. And then for me, when I was getting into uh, f- films from other countries, I really liked him in The Wind That Shakes the Barley. And he's had a strange kind of rise in Hollywood where it was it, it was a struggle for him to get that huge movie for him as a leading man. And with Oppenheimer, this is really his moment. He's led lots of movies before, but he never had that huge, gigantic breakout in America. He's very big in the UK. He always has been very respected actor out there but in america it took him a while to really get to this level which he always had the chops for but sometimes it just is a it's not the right it's like compare him to colin farrell colin's like irish pride and joy yeah he had a huge rocket ship success within two movies and he was the biggest star in america for a few years whereas killian started at the same time but it just didn't work that way for him yeah and as he was coming up people were calling killian the next uh, Colin Farrell in Ireland. Wow, like, really? He's the next yeah. one, the next Irish big star. And it's ironic because he led 28 Days Later in 2002, which was a huge success, really a sleeper hit in America as well as the UK. And, you know, it's an adored movie. And he's the lead of that film. However, after that, his career, he's just mostly been in supporting roles in when it's a major large yes. production. He's been in a ton of indies where he's the lead role. But when it comes to like a big Hollywood film, he's usually a supporting character. I mean, he's been in six Christopher Nolan movies. He's never been the lead until Oppenheimer now. Mm-hmm. So doesn't mean anything against his talent. It's just he's finally got that movie. Like it finally worked out for him where he fit a character to lead a huge film a global transcendent piece of art with Oppenheimer and obviously one of the biggest movies of the year. We all knew he could do it. And obviously Peaky Blinders was massive for his career leading that for, what was it, six seasons? Started in 2013. Yeah, so six seasons of Thomas Shelby was huge for his career as well. But it took him about 15 years to get to that point of being even recognized by the average person. Yeah, I read this interview where he said that he was never recognized in public and he was able to go anywhere, whether it be in America. I believe he shares time in New York City and then in the UK with where he lives. And he said that he's always been able to travel without anyone recognizing him until Peaky Blinders came out on Netflix. And then everyone was like, oh my God, it's it's Thomas Shelby, it's Thomas (laughs) Shelby. That's when people started recognizing him. So it's an example of how even though he was in some of the biggest movies of the year, like Batman movies, he's still in Inception. He still wasn't like that household name in America. And it seems to be maybe Hollywood didn't know what he was as an actor. Because, like you said, 20 Days Later, excellent lead role, amazing horror film, and he's sensational in it. But after that, he's in supporting roles in Girl with a Pearl Earring, Cold Mountain, Red Eye, Batman Begins, and then it's not until Breakfast on Pluto, which was an Irish film, he got his next major leading role. So, And then The Wind That Shakes the Barley, so he did two UK movies as the lead, but still in America, he couldn't get into that once that top seed spot in a way. 
And it could be a thing of like maybe Hollywood producers and agents weren't sure what to do with him in a way. Yeah, maybe it's part of what he wanted. Yeah, he's, true. he's a big yeah. theater actor. He's always in a lot of plays as he was coming up and doing a lot of stage productions through the early 2000s. So maybe it's something that he didn't have a complete interest in doing. Yeah, movies are fun. It's a great way to pay the bills while I can do all the stage work and I'm raising a family. And, you know, I think that maybe there's a combination of both of those things. We never yeah. really know the story behind it. But I think a lot of people just in America or – uh, on this side of the planet just thought, oh, it's the guy from 28 Days Later. Is that yeah. the guy from that? Yeah. that? I think that's what usually people thought yeah. of, of uh, Killian Murphy for years. And when he is in a supporting role, he stands out in that scene. And he's exceptional in whatever scene he was in. When, when was it that you realized his name was Killian and not Cillian? I think it was, <laughs> honestly, Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> I think Dark Knight Rises. I think watching press... Uh, interviews with him. I used to call him Cillian. Yeah, everyone called him Cillian yeah. in America. Americans like the CI. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense to Irish say a hard names K. in general are hard for Americans yeah. to understand. But for the longest time, I thought it was Cillian Murphy. Cillian, we, we'd Murphy be like, I love too. Cillian Murphy. They got it. They got it. Wasn't during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, we've said plenty of names wrong on this show for sure. But I have a list of. Killy Murphy's, Cillian Murphy's <laughs> top-rated movies on IMDb, which I would love to run into as well as do some background on him before we get into his entire career. Yeah, How does that sound? Let's do it. So his best-rated projects on IMDb start with The Top Daddy, The Dark Knight. He's only in one scene, really, in the opening with Batman in the parking garage as Scarecrow. That's not him. It's still a memorable scene, and it's still one of the, it's still. Maybe the best movie of the century. It could be. <laughs> so it's still pretty cool. And it was the fourth time or third time I think he was working with Nolan. And then that's a 9.0. Wow. Inception is an 8.8. .8. A more substantial role here. He plays Robert Fisher, the guy who's going to get inceptioned by Cobb. <laughs> inceptioned so hard. So hard by Cobb <laughs> and his crew and their heist plans to go inside of his mind. I just watched that recently, and he's excellent in it. He really is. Yeah. It's just a kind of – never seen him do anything like that before. He's seen him in suits before. But to see him do like this upper class American, elitist American yeah. guy, he did a great job. His American accent is phenomenal, by he's, the way. He's one of the better UK actors that do an American accent where it doesn't sound like they're trying to do an American accent. <laughs> or <it> never breaks. <laughs> yeah. Never breaks. Peaky Blinders is an 8.8, .8, uh, incredibly beloved show that had six seasons and hopefully a movie comes out of it. But man, some of the best work we've had in TV the last decade or two. And it really helped blow Netflix up big time in the 20-teens. The 20-teens. It was really popping. <laughs> and then Oppenheimer is right now an 8.7. So basically, every time he's in a Nolan movie, it's going to be in the <laughs> top 100 IMDb. Well, they just came out that uh, Nolan has seven. He has eight movies in the top 250 of IMDb. The most. He's the most ever for a director. For any director. Now, Oppenheimer is 8.7. Obviously, we did an episode on it recently, and we'll talk about it a little bit when we get to that on his career path. Batman Begins is next at an 8.2 on IMDb. One of the best comic book movies of the century. One of the best origin stories, if not the best origin story we've ever seen. He's got a large role in this film as well as Scarecrow. His real name is Dr. John something. Jonathan something. Yeah, Dr. Something. <laughs> but he's just he's incredible. Obviously, Crane. we all... No, Dr. Crane. Doc, yeah, Jonathan Crane. Yeah, yeah, thanks. We all know that he auditioned for Batman, just didn't fit. He put the suit on. Bruce Wayne, he's got his striking feet features, but physically, he's not Batman. He didn't and have he, the presence that you need for that character. He's, he's like yeah. 120 pounds soaking wet, and every, I think everyone knew it. <laughs> I think everyone knew it. He knew it as well, but he's so good that Nolan's like, I'll put you in another role. And then Dunkirk is a 7.8. He doesn't have a character name. He's just the man on the boat for 
the shrieking s- sh- uh shivering soldiers shivering his name. soldier yeah. yeah uh for the ocean sequence the water sequence of that triptych storyline and just someone who's going through intense ptsd basically of what he just experienced 28 days later he plays jim the lead character of this iconic and revolutionary zombie film or virus film contagion film rage virus film whatever you want to call it monkey virus <laughs> i like to call it a zombie movie i like zombie i know movie. a lot of people yeah. just say that say it's a virus or infection movie but it's more fun than zombies. Yeah, it's way more fun. It's a seven point. Killian 5. calls it a zombie exactly. movie. Exactly. Denny Boyle calls it a zombie movie. It changed so. zombie movies forever. It really you did. It changed things forever. They sure did. <laughs> and Killian, you know, I think this movie's probably near and dear to his heart for how important it was. Not for just an awesome genre and booming horror in the early two thousands, but it's a really big role for him at in two thousand two. He's maybe in his early thirties, yeah. late twenties. Yeah. That's awesome. And then the Wind That Shakes the Barley is a 7.5 on IMDb. It's an excellent Irish film that takes place during World War Dos, World War II. The Irish Civil War. The, oh, it's the Irish, yeah. Irish Civil War. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> it's okay. It's almost, it's almost as funny as when you did the Southern accent for the Dunkirk. <laughs> what did I do? You, were, you did like an Alabama accent for, for during Dunkirk. I'm like, they're all from the UK or France. Yeah. <laughs> I'm from Dublin, Alabama. I'm from Dublin, he Ireland. Trying, he was trying to do like the cliche like Southern soldier in war movies. Except then was, I was like, oh wait, there's none Amer- no Dunkirk. Americans on the beach. <laughs> Sunshine is a 7.2. A reunion with Danny Boyle, which we'll get into, where he has to set off another nuclear weapon and a big ignite, one. ignite the sun. And then finally, to wrap up his top 10 or 11 on the IMDb, Cold Mountain at 7.2. He's got a small role, but it's significant. He's got a great couple, great scene with Jude Law in this. But this was a star-studded cast in, you know, is 2002, I believe. Is it? Well, 2003. So A Quiet Place Part 2 isn't in the top 10? No, it's a 7.2. Hold on, let me double check. Because I loved A Quiet Place Part 2. I thought I it was know, great. I don't think it's a, over 7.2. Uh-huh. I was. I'm, I wonder, maybe audiences didn't really um, react to that one as well as the first one. I really enjoyed the second 7.2. one. 7.2. It's, it's yeah. tied. Okay, it's tied for the bottom two, so we'll toss A Quiet Place Part 2 in there. Don't throw dirt on John Krasinski, man. Our hey, boy. Man, I love John. Our boy. I love John. Um, I love Quiet Place Part 2, but what's interesting is, like we said about Hollywood not really getting him the lead role, even with his huge success in Peaky Blinders, which made him a superstar in Europe and then superstar slight, slightly in America, he was still doing supporting roles. Like we have In the Heart of the Sea, Transcendence, Anthropoid, uh, Free Fire, uh, Dunkirk, obviously, Quiet Place Part Two. So he's still not the lead. Even though he's a star with Peaky, he still wasn't getting those huge leading roles, which is really interesting because he had the talent, without a doubt, to be the lead. And I think with the star power with Peaky... From now on, I think with Oppenheimer, he's going to get, he's probably getting every script known to in existence is getting offered to him right now. But maybe those roles weren't being offered to him because, like, the in Transcendence and, I mean, Broken, these are just supporting roles, even though he was a star. Yeah, I but wonder, do, you, do you think that now he's destined for to win an Oscar, I think, this year? With I think that he's without a doubt going to win the Oscar. If he doesn't win an Oscar, I'm not going to watch next year. And we say that every year. Yeah, but this is like, <laughs> come on, <laughs> like it's Oppenheimer. I mean, do you see him after this not doing supporting roles anymore, or not, or only doing leading roles? That's an interesting thing because of how his career has always been. Some actors they they do supporting their entire career, but then they have that one movie where they're a lead and they win an award or something. Well, you know what I mean, that's a good point. But also, like some actors, just they their strength is being character actors in small roles, right? I think Killian. 
can do both, and he, he can clearly be the lead of a movie and carry it. Yeah, which I is which is better than most actors can. But then you have to factor in, depending on the kinds of movies, how many kinds of movies that get made right now would be leading roles for Killian Murphy. Like I don't see him holding a gun. I don't see him in an action film really. Well, he's he's done it in time. He did it with um, uh, Piki. He's holding a gun in every episode. He shoots so many people in the yeah, face. Yeah, what am Piggy I talking Blinders. about? <laughs> <laughs> Free Fire, it's a big action movie. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But the thing is, like, so, okay, huh. take, for example, okay. for Free Fire, he's, like, the fifth-billed actor. Yeah. But it's fucking Killian Murphy, Army Hammer, and Brie Larson are the leads of that movie. What year did that come out? That came out in 2016, I would say. So it was a couple years into Peaky. Yeah, it was right before Dunkirk. So I, I guess Peaky wasn't even that yeah. huge yet. In, in the Heart of the Sea, Ron Howard film, who's the lead? It's Chris Hemsworth, you know? So he's, he's never had, like, the Hollywood star power. Has never They've never seen that star power in him until now. You and I... and. Many of the people listening to the show, I'm sure, have always adored him and seen that in him. But Hollywood, is, I think, is finally beginning to see how he can be like the lead and carry a movie. Outside of a Christopher Nolan movie. Exactly. Give him a yeah. juicy role. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you're right. He's got some awards, recognition, but no real huge wins. He's got two BAFTA nominations in his career and one Golden Globe nomination. Now That's shocking. Yeah, I, I expect him to get every nomination in existence this yeah. this fall and going into the 2024 Academy Awards in February with Oppenheimer. So I think that's going to change. And it's going to be exciting to see someone who a lot of cinema lovers and TV lovers adore yeah. kind of just have this big Cinderella year. I'm expecting it to be um, Daniel Day-Lewis when he played Lincoln. I think he won, like, as a lead actor, won the every major award. Like, there was, like, zero competition for him. I think it was that one. I expect something like this where there every single major award he's going to win. And uh, no, yeah, I don't see what the competition right. is right now. Just honestly just Leah with Killers of yeah. Flower Moon, but even so like maybe Fastbender with the Killer, but still it's like the the word of mouth and the love that's outpouring for him right now, that's just going to feed into the voting. And I feel like it's going to be such a dominant win of everything that's going to be it's rarely done. And because 
not to say there's less competition. I mean, you're going up against Leo and Fastbender, and I'm sure there will be a couple other really incredible leading roles that we're going to see in the next six months. But still, I don't see, even if it's a strong year, it still can't compete with what he did with Oppenheimer because what he did as Oppenheimer was really, it's got to be one of the better performances of the last 25 years of this 21st century. I think his main competition will be Bradley Cooper when his movie comes out. Yes, that's a good point. I think that might be his biggest competition. And I love Bradley, but if Bradley beats Killian, I'll be pissed. (laughs) I'll be pissed. That's why I think like Bradley's always gotten a lot of attention from the Academy. Leo as well. Not always wins, but so Bradley has a bunch of nominations. So I think that because Killian hasn't gotten any love, the love's going to be stronger for him, if that makes sense. I can see that. And he's an interesting guy. His lifestyle is he's an intensely private person. He prefers not to speak about his personal life and didn't appear on any live TV chat shows until 2010. Wow. I'm assuming he was promoting Inception. He does not have a stylist or personal publicist. I love it. Travels without an entourage and often attends premieres alone, is fluent in English, French, and Irish or Gaelic. So he's just a really interesting guy. And I really like stars and actors and actresses who are very private. You know, I, I think the more we hear about celebrities in their personal lives, the the less... Mystery. Yeah, the, the mystique is gone. Yeah. But th- I think that's one of the things about Killian is there's so much mystery to this guy. No one really knows who he is. Like, he, no one knows. People may not know he's been married since, like, 1997 or something like that. Or he, he married... His his wife was uh, a fan of his band when he was... Yeah, he had like, a band. When he was, like, 18. Yeah. It's so sweet. They, yeah, it's what they met at one of his shows. Yeah. So, like, people may not even know that, but it's, he's now one of the biggest stars on the planet. I prefer that because... Um, ha- the thing is, I... I like that he doesn't have a stylist, and I like that he doesn't have PR. I'm he, sure Oppenheimer, he had a stylist, or the whole he, he team had, had a stylist. They did some photo shoots. He definitely had a stylist. It wasn't his typical just, like, Killian look, but there were so, he had some great looks. Um, that's something where I'm sure Universal was like, let's get you a stylist. You're the lead <laughs> yeah. of a $100 million yeah. movie. But there's something where, like, Jonah Hill, for example, he's, he's sworn off stylists, and he said, when I go to a photo shoot, when I go to red carpets— I'm wearing what I wear. Like, I'm just going to be me. Because what happens, which I don't like, is I understand that they they have to sell this person as an actor. You're selling yourself, not just on screen, but also when you go to events. And so they're always being put in the most fashionable clothes, what's in right now, hair and everything. But it's not the actor's not choosing these things. It's the team's choosing what they look like. The team is choosing what they're wearing. 99% of the time when an actor walks onto a red carpet, their stylist showed up in their hotel room with a rack of clothes and like, okay, this, let's try on some outfits, see what looks best for you. Unless there's a custom design yeah. for them, you know. So for me, I understand that's part of the job. And you, especially um, if you're trying to gain an audience, you got to sell yourself. I understand that. But for me, there's something just, com- it's not completely honest to who they are. And I prefer if if famous people were more honest to like, they don't have a team putting outfits together for them. They don't have a team cutting their hair right before a red carpet. That's part of the job. I get it. But I actually like it, and I prefer it. You know, Leo's another example. The dude just wears, like, jeans and bomber jackets everywhere, and he just wears in very plain, simple clothing. Just, like, that's how he dresses. He doesn't have extravagant outfits. Yeah, listen, I think that's one of the big differences yeah. between him and people call Timmy the next Leo, where Timmy's a very fashionable yes, guy. Yes, yes. There's nothing Especially wrong Especially on that. red carpets. He appreciates it. He yeah, likes fashion. That's just like yeah. his style. But Leo's never been like the fashionista. People never. copy his style. He wears like just a like random college football hat everywhere he, he goes. He just looks like a guy. He just yeah. look, He does look just yeah. look like a guy. 
but then he just wears suits to red carpets. He's never been like the the wild dressing, what's in fashion right now look. Yeah. And the thing is, I, I know a little bit about fashion. I used to work at it. And when I see the new looks, it's like the stylists just use the same looks for their actors. So then all the actors are wearing the same kinds of things. And it's just like, it takes away any kind of personality, I think. If they're all they're all dressed in like the same style this year, yeah, or this yeah. season, it's like the, the last year it's been like the huge pants and huge it's, suits. Yeah, it's like they've blended together like the suits from the fifties and forties and turned them into a modernized look. I saw Solo doing a, a bit for uh, Blue, Blue Beetle. He's got a giant suit on. Yeah. It's enormous. So giant, but also what they're doing is they're casualizing it. So they're doing the big double-breasted suit with just a T underneath it or nothing underneath it. You know what I mean? It's like 1986. It, yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> 1984? No, the, just the 80s. Oh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like talking heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but the thing is, like, they... And event, when I look at it, for me, all the actors are like, it's just they're all wearing the same kinds of outfits. Like, who are they? You know who... Because their stylist is like, we gotta do what's hot. That's the thing. They have to do what's hot. They have to do what's in. And so they're just doing... That's the job. But I love Killian and actors like that. Who are like, I'm just gonna wear what I wear. I'm not gonna try to pretend to be something I'm not. And I really respect that. For someone who I'm sure he gets put pressure put on him his entire career to do certain things, to look a certain way, to dress a certain way. But there's something really incredible and so much character to him to be like, I'm just gonna be Killian Murphy. That's who I am. And I'm not gonna wear this outfit I don't feel comfortable in. And I really respect that. And I respect being private because, like you said, it adds mystique. He just shows up. When you see him, you just see him in films. You don't see him on online. You don't see him on Instagram. And I think that adds so much more to the acting, the less you are exposed to the actor. He was serving some looks for Oppenheimer. He looked. Though. He had some good looks. He had yeah. some looks. He has a stylist now. He was serving. He definitely does. But for... he definitely didn't look comfortable. <laughs> I don't know. He, he looked, I think maybe he just was, wasn't, he's never been used to being the lead of such a big movie The attention before. on him. Because you, know, like, every... you said in one of the photo shoots, it was, um, I think, Vanity Fair or something, a cover, and it was... Killian in the, in the middle, Downey, Matt Damon, Emily Blunt on his side. Florence in, Pugh. In Florence Pugh. And you're like, you said, wow, he's never been like, to see Killian in the center and the superstars around him, that's something that's never happened in his career. Now he's a superstar. Yeah. Now Killian Murphy, let's find out some more information about this Love guy. to know. Born on May 25th in 1976 in Ireland. He grew up in Cork. He is currently 47 years old. He made his professional debut in Edna Walsh's 1996 play Disco Pigs, which he later reprised the role of in the 2001 screen adaptation of that play as well. And then his biggest uh his biggest break in the 2000s was obviously 28 Days Later in 2002, as well as the dark comedy Intermission, moving into Red Eye, and then films like the Wind That Shakes the Barley, and we'll get into his entire career of all the movies he's been in and shows, but, you know, working with Christopher Nolan in 2005, starting in, with Batman Begins and doing that trilogy, Inception, Peaky Blinders starting in 2013, going to 2022. He is just booming right now, and his early life, he was, his father, his mother taught French, which is obviously why he's fluent in French, probably, and his father worked for the Department of Education. His entire family was full of teachers, and he grew up writing and performing songs at a young age and ended up starting a band with his brother that was called something. Hold on, I got it right here. The Sons of Mr. Green Jeans, and they were obsessed with the Beatles. He was also acting in plays and participating at the Corkadorka Theater Company. And then he eventually moved into, started studying law and failed out because 
he did not care about studying law anymore. And he, there's a quote saying, like, if he continued law, he'd probably be a lot more successful financially, but he just wouldn't be a happy person. And then he eventually wanted to be a rock star. His goal was to be a rock star of his band. He was the singer and guitarist, his band with his brother. And they were offered a six-album deal with a record company. And he also said he's glad they didn't sign that deal because you sign your life away, basically. Yeah. You used to sign those contract deals back in the day. And you're not like, making the money that you th- people think you're making. And then he got back into acting on stage plays and doing all kinds of things. He saw a production of A Clockwork Orange that really motivated him to pursue acting again as a career. And then he eventually found success in the early, early late 90s, early 2000s, doing short films, and then obviously reprising that role of, in Disco Pigs was huge for him. In 2002, he became you know like a full-time uh, yeah. film actor. What happened was with Disco Pigs, he starred in the play, and then when they did the film adaptation, they asked him to play the same role in the film. Danny Boyle saw the film and loved him in it, and so that's what got him auditions for 28 Days Later. And Killian said that he went through five rounds of auditions with Danny Boyle, and then he finally got 28 Days Later, which obviously was the huge break for him because Disco Pigs, nobody saw. But- Actually, can I correct you? Sure. Casting director Gail Stevens suggested that Boyle audition Murphy for the role after seeing his performance in Disco Pigs. I'm not sure about the accuracy of that because not- I just saw an actual Killian Murphy interview saying Danny Boyle saw it and loved it. Well, I think that <laughs> they're both correct. You can trust Wiki or Killian? It says, <laughs> I'm Killian Murphy writing my own Wikipedia page. I just watched the, uh, he did GQ interview a few years ago uh, promoting something. I think Peaky or Quiet Place Part 2. And then he said, he said that. <laughs> he said, Spida, I saw, Spida, I thought you wanted a drink. I thought you said Spida. <laughs> so he said that, maybe it's both. But it's, probably Kill- a, somewhere, maybe, it's probably a mix. But Killian said Danny Boyle saw Disco Pigs and, and reached out to him because I of bet that. you the casting director showed Danny Boyle Disco Pigs. Probably. That yeah. could be it. That's, That's probably it. it. We figured it out. That's probably it. You're wrong, Killian. We're both right. <laughs> <laughs> but then 20 Days Later really was his big break, obviously. It's a sensational horror film. It's one of my all-time favorites. And Killian's great in it because it shows how great of an actor he is because of the transformation um, that character goes through Jim. Is his name? Yeah, Jim. Jim is Jim. Jim's uh, he's uh, he's just like a simple podcaster <laughs> 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 with a twin brother. <laughs> no, Jim's a mic messenger. We don't see it, but obviously his first scene is waking up in the hospital. But he was just like a a simple bike messenger, just an average guy. And then he goes through this immense transformation of becoming a fucking hardened killer who will do whatever it takes to save himself and protect the ones he loves now and he just goes through incredible violence to get there the transformation if you go to like the opening scene and how and the opening sequence is basically how afraid he is how how unawares he is and then basically it's the other two characters um naomi harris basically like leading him and just basically he's like a kind of like a dead weight to her in a way in the first act of the film and then eventually he becomes like an animal and a monster and he's he's not the zombies aren't the monsters anymore. He's the monster of the final act. Seeing that transformation, it's incredible. Like what a character! Because in horror movies, you don't see characters really transform that often. But for this, like his transformation is just incredible. It's so drastic that she thinks he is infected. Yes. and almost kills him when she sees what he's done. He's covered in blood. It's an incredible movie, and I mean, what an opening to to wake up from a coma. I'm sure the hosp- the doctors performed the surgery and then evacuated and just left this man locked up and chained up inside this big operating room. And he wakes up 
to be alone in the entire world in London until he starts discovering some, some yeah. creepy guys inside a church. Creepy guys. <laughs> you take that with Father. <laughs> it's an incredible film, an incredible role. He's he's sensational as Jim. And it's one of Danny Boyle's best, and they will reunite later in 2007. And a sign of an actor being great, even though maybe Hollywood doesn't see it, he's got two of the greatest directors in UK coming out of the UK in history, Chris Nolan and Danny, Danny Boyle, casting him in multiple movies of theirs. Like, that's a sign of a great actor if these incredible, amazing artists want to keep working with him. And also Ken Loach um, is a, an incredible director. He made um, uh, The Wind That Shakes the Barley. Uh, he's he's one of the greatest Irish directors of all time. Do you really consider Nolan to be a UK director? He's he's from the UK. No, I know he but is. I, when, it's Nolan is like Hitchcock. He's UK. He's he's English, but he makes movies in America. That's, that's it's but it's, like he's also dual. He grew up yeah. half half. Yeah. So I I I honestly don't consider him to be a UK director because he makes all of his movies in America. No, I, I agree. That's why that's why he's like Hitchcock, where Hitchcock made movies in America, but he's from the UK. He's got an English accent. I know he does, but his brother doesn't. Well, that's why I said from the UK. You said UK director. Okay, I did say that. You did. But I understand where you're coming from, and I, I agree. Yeah. But he's got an English accent. I know he does. <laughs> but it, that's why he's like Hitchcock. He, he's English, but he makes movies in America and always has. Hitchcock made a few movies in England. But, True. But, um, like, Frenzy is great, and that's in England. But, obviously, 95% of that guy's filmography was in America in the Hollywood system. True. All right, let's get more into his filmography. 2003, Killing was in Intermission. He starred as a lovelorn, hapless supermarket stalker who plots a bank heist with Colin Farrell and became the highest-grossing Irish independent film in the Irish box office history until the one that Shakes the Barley broke the record in 2006. He was also, like I said, earlier in Cold Mountain in 2003 with a supporting role in the very successful Hollywood period drama, um, Anthony Mangella made that film, and he's a, he's just in one scene, but it's really fantastic. He plays a scene where he's um, him and a couple of other um, Jude Law. I think they are they Union soldiers, the blues, the blue. They're desert, they're deserting soldiers. I can't okay, remember okay. which side. And then um, they try to take advantage of Natalie Portman's character, and Jude Law kills them. He's he plays the one of that trio who is like showing some kind of a conscience, but he's he's afraid to go against his fellow soldiers so he's just in the in the front yard kind of just like falling apart because of what's happening uh, it's a really powerful scene he's in he's on screen for two minutes but he's really fantastic and also that year the girl with the pearl earring came out which is a kind of a biography about uh, Johannes Vermeer the great painter and that famous portrait he did of the girl with the pearl earring Scarlett Johansson plays the subject of the portrait um, Colin, Colin Firth. Firth plays Vermeer and then Killy Murphy has a small supporting role as uh, a local boy butcher who, butcher who um, um, Scarlett Johansson's character has a little fling with. He's got super long hair in it. He's got crazy long hair in it, yeah. <laughs> but he's very good, but also it's a very limited role. He, he doesn't have much to do in it. Not until 2005, he started getting some real critical oh, yeah. success and was in Batman Begins, obviously, as Dr. Jonathan Crane. But something came out before it, though. What came out before it? Red Eye. Oh, did it? Yeah, yeah. Red, Eye, Red Eye was released before Batman Begins. Well, they're both 2005. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. yeah. say I'm Batman. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but you're missing Originally, Dunkirk. Dunkirk. <laughs> like I said, or he orig why do you say it like that? Dunkirk. That's how he says it with the Irish accent. It's because I just watched a bunch of Killian interviews. He says Dunkirk. So why don't you say everything else with an Irish accent? Because I can't. Well, I can do a, a, <laughs> can't. a. I can kind of do it in an Irish accent. Maybe not. Um, That's pretty good. <laughs> it's 
pretty good. <laughs> You're just jealous. You're just jealous. <laughs> it's getting worse and worse the more you go. Or it's getting more accurate. <laughs> so Nolan cast him as Scarecrow instead, like we said, and Batman Begins was a huge success. And he's got a juicy role as Scarecrow, as Jonathan Crane. Very mysterious, obviously one of the main villains of this first film. Recurring character in all three of the movies. He has one scene in The Dark Knight and one scene in The Dark Knight Rises as the judge of Gotham. Well, he's got two scenes as the judge. Okay, two scenes. Two small scenes, but yeah, they filmed it on one day. You're right. For sure. And it's a great character, and I read somewhere Christopher Nolan said he's got such piercing blue eyes that I kept finding excuses for him to take his glasses off as the character. That's, I mean, that's something Um, after watch, watching Oppenheimer and Inception, he likes to have people take off glasses before they deliver something important. Like, it's like Inception and, and, and uh, Oppenheimer happened like a dozen times, I swear to God. I bet you it's a Michael Caine thing because of Caine doing it in so many of his old movies. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, Caine. that's a good point. Yeah. Because Caine still wore those glasses, those big, thick glasses in tons of his movies in the 60s and 70s. But it adds a dramatic effect. Like, yeah. when Crane does it, he does it a couple times in the film. It's just like, okay, it's like almost taking off a mask of humanity True. and just showing, like, the monster within by taking off the glasses. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. And also, no one says the Batman like like Scarecrow. The Batman. He's great. The Batman. <laughs> then Red Eye, obviously. He stars Jackson Ripper <laughs> alongside Rachel McAdams, who he terrorizes on an overnight flight. He's too. so good in that movie. So, he, he's excellent in that movie. It was successful yeah. as hell. Wes Craven directed this. Made almost a hundred million dollars the box Whoa. office. Whoa! Almost a hundred million. Damn! It probably cost like twenty mil tops. A horror movie on a plane, probably less. But it's that movie is just all dialogue, and him and McAdams are fantastic together. She's an, another excellent actor, and just them like going at it, just like just like heavyweight boxers, blow for blow. Um, it's just a really unbelievable film to pull off. It's not just like a one location movie. It's two seats movie it's just a, bathroom a, a, a row okay they go a couple look but, but most of that movie takes place with two characters just sitting next to each other yeah and they did a fantastic job because it it's a good script and it's well directed but it really relies on the acting to work and they are fantastic together he was also in Breakfast on Pluto in 2005, which got him a Golden Globe nomination. He starred as Patrick Kitten Braden, a transgender Irish woman in search of her mother, in Neil Jordan's comedy based on the novel of the same title by Patrick McCabe. And it was a famous book that came out in Ireland, and it's a who's who's of actors were in that film. Liam Neeson's in it, Brendan Gleeson's in it, and so. Killian, he said it was just a dream job to be able to work with his heroes on that film. Yeah, and then. Liam Neeson, he says, is like a surrogate film dad. Cause oh, yeah? Because I think he plays his dad in multiple films. Yeah. He plays his dad. Yeah, he's he's uh, Daddy Scarecrow. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's a good point. <laughs> but he won't be happy when he finds out. He, he's coming here. Dad, no, he says Daddy won't be happy. Daddy won't be happy. <laughs> Daddy's coming to Gotham. To find out that you're risking his plan to get some low-life thugs out of jail time. <laughs> who, who, who paid the dogs? Daddy. <laughs> it was daddy. 
We got these uh, on one today. Oh my god! And then 2006, he started really booming. The Wind That Shakes the Barley came out, and this film about the Irish uh, Irish War of Independence and the Irish Civil War, which won the Palme d'Or at the 2006 Cannes Film Festival, became the most successful Irish independent film at the Irish box office. Yeah. So Ken Loach directed that, and he's you know, like I said earlier, one of the greatest Irish directors. He made this film called Kess, K E S, which is a uh, I think it might be the one of the greatest coming-of-age films of all time. You should watch it. You really love it. It's about this boy who lives in poverty with, in a terrible household, and he finds a hawk in a field injured, and he, he fixes the hawk up and, stick, and takes care of it and eventually learns how to train the hawk. Um, but also, he's struggling with intense situations as a kid and trying to you know make life livable in a way. It's so beautiful, and it's so incredible. That's his best film, Ken Loach. Um, but he's he's Irish royalty in the film in the film world. And The Wind That Shakes the Barley is really fantastic. It's an incredible war film. Um, it, and I, Killian Murphy was the first thing I saw him in where I was like, that guy is an amazing actor. Uh, because I was getting curious about other films, like I said earlier, around the world. And that's a, it's an early... I kind of like eased into sometimes like, oh, Irish and English films. Uh, then getting into more foreign language films. But this is a film that really made an impact on me, and it's just a really beautiful, stunning, stunning movie. Yeah, like Anthony said, he auditioned six times for the role of Damien O'Donovan, and it was actually shot where he's from in Cork, Ireland, so it was very impactful for him, and he was very excited to get the role. Yeah, I mean, it's he said that generations of Irish people watched that film. Like, it was such an important movie for them as a, as a community. And then 2007, he was in Sunshine, which is a really underrated science fiction film, film from Danny Boyle where he worked with him again. He plays a physicist on this Save the Earth crew or Save the Sun mission to reignite the sun, which is dying. It's basically the core, except... In space. The, in space with the sun <laughs> and not the core of the Earth. So they have to nuke the, they have to nuke the sun. And so he's the physicist. Hollywood love nukes. He's the physicist, and he has to ignite, reignite the sun. And then he plays a physicist uh, 16 years later. Yeah. And it's a really good movie. And, I, I, I mean, it's got some cons and some, some issues for me. But overall, it's a, it's a solid space movie, really good science fiction film. And yeah. he's, he's the main character, and he's excellent in it. And it's an excellent, it's an amazing ensemble cast. Uh, amazing. Evans, Rose Byrne, Sonata. Michelle Yeoh, um, Idris Elba, Cliff Curtis, just so many fantastic actors. Idris is in this movie. Idris is um, isn't he the the villain at the end? Is that Idris? I got. I'm trying to think. Sunshine. Let me just Google it real quick. Da, 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 da. I haven't seen it in, in a while. Oh, Benedict Wong's in it. No, it's Mark Strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mixed it up. Mark yeah, Strong. Mark like, Strong is the burned uh, guy from the other station that ends up being the villain. That's my. Um, that's ultimately my problem with the film is the ultimate villain antagonist of the film. Didn't quite work for me. Just being a guy who just starts... is kind of become a slasher movie. Yeah. And that's where it is, I was like, that's not the direction I was thinking it was going to go. Well, yeah, I guess, but trying to create some conflict while you're on this mission to the moon. Yeah, yeah, for I sure. I mean, to the sun. <laughs> but um, I love the movie. It's got some incredible visuals, and just that cast is so fantastic together. But uh, even though I don't love the third act, I love the ending. Also, the music that John Murphy did for this, as well as 28 Days Later, are some of the best 
couple of tracks in the history of cinema. Oh yeah, like uh, the, this was on repeat on my CD. Adagio for Adagio and G is that what it's called? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah Adagio and G is the Sunshine song, which also was used in Wonder Woman 1984 for when she flies. Yes, which I was a little perplexed by. I thought we were gonna get a Hans Zimmer theme or something. Yeah, it would have been nice to get a Hans Zimmer theme. I was like, why? Are, why doesn't Hans? Why didn't they have Hans do music? It was. For this? It was. Uh, it took me out of it. I was like, is that the Sunshine theme? Yeah, it's the Sunshine like, song. It's a great song. <laughs> it's a nice cover, but. And then uh, in a heartbeat for Twenty Eight Days Later. That's what it's called. Iconic. Yeah. yeah. Iconic. Great, great music. And Sunshine's really, really great science fiction film. It just didn't quite get there. It's almost. It's almost amazing. Yeah, it's almost there. Yeah. And then watching Detective, he starred opposite Lucy Liu in two thousand seven in Paul Sutter's romantic comedy. And then two thousand and eight, where you got Dark Knight. Where he just has that one scene, but memorable scene as Crane. It's fun seeing him, and also he's in a movie, uh, a romantic period piece called *The Edge of Love*, starring Kira Knightley, and he played uh, one of the men in her love triangle. It's a it's a pretty good period piece. It's not amazing, but um, they're good together. They're excellent together. He was in a couple independent films after *The Dark Knight*. Perry Inception's body. one of them, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, *Peacock*. But then *Inception* in two thousand and ten was. A massive film for him in his career, obviously, and one of the biggest movies at the time when Inception came out. This was all anyone was talking about for a couple of years. And he had a juicy role in this movie. He's great. The thing is, his character doesn't really show up until an hour into the film. And then he is in every scene. And he's he's really dynamic with the other characters because the whole movie is a build-up to the heist. And then we just see a photo of him, and we get that one scene with his dad with when Tom Hardy's Eames is spying on him. That's the first time we really get to see him act until they're on the plane in first class. And then he's all aboard with the crew the whole time, and he's really fantastic in that role. He goes through a lot. It, he is the emotional heartbeat of the movie eventually. Other than obviously Cobb and his family, so there's two emotional heartbeats. My bad, Philippa, Philippa, Papa. <laughs> Papa. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Killian is really, really excellent in the movie. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's digging for a worm. <laughs> Says something like that. He's also <laughs> he's digging for something. Maybe, Maybe a worm. A worm. <laughs> uh, also, in 2010, he had a small role as Edward Dillinger in Tron Legacy, and I think that we that movie could have used some more Killian Murphy. Maybe oh, yeah. some more real world stuff with that character. I think it would have been a great like counter to uh, the son of Flynn, Sam Flynn. Yeah, I think you could. I think that movie could have been improved by. Some, we did an episode on this a couple of weeks ago on Tron Legacy, and I would have liked to see more of that character. I thought he was interesting. Yeah, because that's another mistake of prepping for the future without focusing. Like, let's get this movie right. But instead, they're like, oh, let's let's prepare for the next movie because he was going to ultimately be the villain of the next film. But I mean, the way you should make a movie is just try to make the best one possible at the time and put everything you can into that, and hopefully it works. So I think it's I think it could have definitely benefited from Killian being in that movie in a much more substantial role. He's not even credited in the movie. His whole m career might have changed if Tron Legacy was a huge hit and he became the villain of the second film. Yeah, absolutely. Could have definitely for sure changed his trajectory because next up, he had a, a role in In Time, which is the the Andrew Nichols movie starring Justin Timberlake and Amanda Seyfried as in this dystopian-esque future where time is the currency. It's a great concept. Ultimately, the script fell flat, and it has really just a bad third and third act and bad ending. Uh, especially, Kelly Murphy plays a cop. He's a time cop, and he's he hunts down people who, st who have stolen time. And so he's on the tail of Timberlake and Seyfried. 
And the thing is, the script is, the script is a great concept, but the script is not good. But you're not going to say no to Andrew Nichols, the guy who made Gattaca. You know what I mean? Gattaca is one of our great science fiction films of the last um, like 30 years or so. And so obviously you're going to say yes to that. You're going to say yes to this director and writer, especially if you're a huge fan of that film. We're a huge fan of Gattaca. But ultimately, you know, Justin Timberlake, he's a good actor, but he has limits and he has a ceiling. And he can be used really well. Social Network is an example. But I'm not sure Timberlake ever works as a lead actor. And this is an example of that. Killian would have been better as the lead for sure, but Timberlake is the superstar. It's a good movie, but I think that ultimately it didn't work out for Killian. Yeah, uh, it's. I don't think it's a very memorable movie, to be honest. I, I saw. I don't even think I finished it when I saw it years ago, and I've had no desire to see it again. I saw it once, and I was like, that was not good. Then why did you say it was a good movie? I didn't. You just did. did what is, did I say it was a good movie? Yeah, you said it was. Yeah. When you edit this, rewind it. Okay, that's not a good movie. <laughs> that's why I said that. Well, I destroyed it earlier. But that's why I also said that because, yeah. oh, I didn't yeah. know he liked that movie. Maybe I was thinking it was a good performance is what I meant to say. <laughs> and then he was in Broken in 2012, which I have not seen. Have you seen that? I have not seen Broken. Let's move on. But I've seen Red Lights. Okay, Red Lights. So Red Lights came out the same year, and it's co-stars uh, Robert De Niro and a good, a good ensemble cast. And it's about... Killian Murphy's investigating these people with uh, the, this ability, this uh, telekinesis kind of ability, and he's investigating whether it's real or not. It's kind of a kind of a horror movie in a way, and De Niro plays like this very famous guy who has this mental ability, and it's like the whole movie is begging the question, is it real or are they putting on an act the whole time? So his character's trying to figure that out. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. You're all Again, Killian, you're not going to say no to working with De Niro, so you can see why he chose that role. And then he was in The Dark Knight Rises in 2012 as Scarecrow Jonathan Crane, Dr. Jonathan Crane, sorry, Doc, where he is now the judge of Gotham after Bane has given power back to the people of Gotham. Sold to the man in a cold sweat. And he's just the judge of this insane judicial system that they've created in this new Gotham. And he's hysterical. He's energetic and he's just really great in his couple scenes he's in i like it because the, it's not a trial he says this is not a trial this is merely a sentencing hearing like there's no trials it's just like are you gonna die or not <laughs> it's, there's no verdict so I, I really like it also they shot that i think it's union station in, in los angeles which is a huge beautiful interior and it looks like it looks like that's where they built that set and i love like this giant pile of junk leading up to his desk with these long papers going all the way down. It's just a really, a really beautiful set. And we're, we only see it for like 30 seconds of the movie, but it's really fantastic uh, production design. And clearly Jonathan Crane is the happiest he's ever been. And so, in this position. no, that's a great point. He's, he's loving. He's this never been happier. He's gone for this moment. Yeah. Now, 2013 was a huge year for Killian because he got his biggest role until Oppenheimer and his a career-defining role for him for many years. But... Before we get into that role. In 2013? Yeah, in 2013. Before we get into that role, let's get into our intermission. Oh, let's do it, man. Yeah. Now, before we continue, the very best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to leave us those five-star reviews either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes. The Apple ones, you can leave a written review, which we love to read off in the show. I'm going to do one in about a minute. But these five-star reviews and ratings really help us rank on Spotify. Uh, podcast platforms. They help us get seen by new people, so they are essential to our show's success. So thank you to everyone who's left us five-star reviews. They are so important to 
Raiders of the Lost podcast. We appreciate it. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast, which is a subscription-based form of support to our show. We have five different tiers of membership at $2, $5, $10, $25, and $100. Every single tier gets you access to our weekly chat, which has now been moved exclusively to Patreon, as well as an additional bonus episode every single week. So every patron you get access to two extra episodes of the show for as little as two bucks. Let's let a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Anthony. <laughs> and then we have all t- kinds of great perks for every tier going up the ladder. Like $10 gets you access to our Discord community. $25, you get a custom episode. $100, you get everything included that plus some free merch. You get a private watch party, viewing party with us, and you get to come on the show for a fun guest segment. So thank you to everyone who is a patron, and you can become one today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. This episode is also sponsored by our friends at movieposters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. They have a huge selection of pretty much every movie and TV show imaginable in your poster library. If you want to get a Peaky Blinders poster, that's the place to get it. We have a ton of these posters decorating our set and home i just got the biggest evil dead poster possible and it just looks so good on the set you'll see it on the on the wide shot of our set i love these posters they also do our movie poster giveaway contest twice a month congratulations to our last winner from last week matthew he got a star wars a new hope poster which is going to look great in his place i'm sure we're going to do another contest next week again for all your poster needs be sure to go to movieposters.com and use our promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. Now, let's head into our intermission and begin with the movie quote competition. You ready? Ready. You could tell that when you found me, I was with the only brothers I had left. And that there was no way I was deserting. Nice. That's a, it's a wicked awesome movie, guy. <laughs> this is uh, Matt Damon Saving Private Ryan. Yes, sir. I love that. Okay, next up, my quote. I've got 44 notches on my club. Do you know what they're for? They're to remind me what I owe God when I die. Gangs of New York? Yes. Who says it? Brendan Gleeson, the priest. Wow, you got it. <laughs> Crushed it, man. Nice one. That was a pretty hard one. Dude, you're, you're wicked smart. Got it, man. I've seen that movie a few times. It's a great script. It really is. There's so yeah. many good lines like that. Oh, my God, yeah. Guess this movie release here. Dead Poets Society. Good one. Great cast. You did a Matt Damon week, didn't you? Matt Damon's not in Dead Poets Society. Oh, wait, I was thinking of the other one. The one with Brandon Fraser yeah. and Ben? Yeah. What's that called? Not Dead Poets Society. <laughs> <laughs> the other one. Um, Dead Poets Society, 1996. 89. 89? 1989. Whoa. Dude, Ethan Hawke looks like he's like 17 in that movie. Oh, my God, you're right. It's it's high, they're high schoolers. Yeah. And Robin's very young looking in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What year did Lake Placid come out? Because <laughs> Brendan Gleason plays the sheriff of the town. <laughs> Anthony Lake must Placid. have forgot that we just did an episode on 1999, a year in film. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. 1999. Nice, man. Easy peasy. Shit. <laughs> Anyways. We went on about Lake Placid yep, for like yeah, five minutes. Yep. I remember now. I remember now. Movie pop quiz time. Angelina Jolie has two Oscar nominations, and one of them is a win. What are the films? Girl Interrupted, 
Yep. Is the win. The nomination is for Changeling. Correct. Correct. Oh, yeah. Clint Eastwood's movie. Don't mess with me. <laughs> also, we did Changeling. We talked about that. I mean, we talked about Girl Interrupted, 1999. Yeah, 1999 so, I guess James forgot we did an episode. No, I knew that. I just I just want to see if you can get the other movie. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I edited that episode. I knew it. I hope I didn't disappoint. No, I, I, I would have been surprised. You were, I would have been disappointed if you didn't get it. Uh, thanks. You have high expectations. Because the, the questions aren't only for you. They're for the listeners as well. You know that. Oh, yeah. That's true. <laughs> well, you were just giving me shit about Lake Placid. Yeah, well. <laughs> what about the listeners then? Good point. <laughs> they listened to the episode. They're probably like, didn't they just do this? Wow, Anthony's such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. What M. Night Shyamalan movie did Brendan Gleeson co-star in? Oh, man. M. Night Shyamalan movie. Is he in the village? I feel like he's not in the village. Lady in the water? He played the boy in The Sixth Sense. (laughs) 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 Mocap. Haley Joel Osment's not even real. Oh man, I, I, I really, I don't, I'm not sure, but I'm just gonna guess the village. But I don't think that's correct. Is it the village? The village is correct. Okay, the village. Yeah, yeah it's correct. Okay, now I yeah, can. He's one of the him. elders. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. I believe he's the dad of um, Joaquin Phoenix's character. Maybe it might be. Now, William, you know what, now I'm picturing him William Hurt is um, the father of um, Bryce Dallas Bryce Howard. Howard. I think that. Brendan might be the dad of Joaquin, if I'm correct. I could be wrong, though. Okay. What's your streaming recommendation? Asteroid City, which is on Peacock now. Nice, nice. I recommend Princess Mononoke, which is on Max. All, all of those movies, the Ghibli movies, are on Max. And I've been meaning to watch it for a long time, and it lived up to the hype. It's really fantastic. It's an amazing uh, fantasy film, incredible visuals, and a really, really great story with excellent characters. I... I adore it. I actually, it's my favorite um, Ghibli movie now, over Spirited Away. Cool. All right, let's get back into our episode on. I got some Raider haters. Oh, Raider haters! I'm sorry, you went down to the uh, recommendations. That's usually last. I threw you off. Yeah, yeah. You threw, I forgot. I didn't even do the the review yet. You, you threw re- everything off, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I fucked up. Anthony, you up. really messed this episode. All right, up. Some, <laughs> some Raider haters. All right, Joshua Lag, Joshua Joshua Set Lag wrote. <laughs> I posted my Bond. Nolan casting dream and he wrote man Nicholas Holt still can't even get a, catch a break <laughs> leading your imaginary role for a Bond film by Nolan <laughs> poor guy and then Gabe was very upset about my uh, best two, two best performances in TV history he said he's revoking his Patreon account I think everyone was upset I did not approve that tweet by the way hey it's not all about you man Maybe next time you should you should have been like the best two of the great. Hey man, just gonna try and get some hot takes, bro. Hot takes, true. I I believe that. I've seen The Sopranos. I've seen Peaky Blinders, and I think that Killian's a better performance. Well, the, yeah. So the tweet was Anthony said the greatest performances in TV history are Breaking Bad, or are um Killian Murphy in, in Peaky Blinders, and then oh my god, why can't I think Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston in Breaking Bad? I think so. I really do. I give it to Cranston for sure. I think Cranston is in that. Someone said that he Killian's not even in the top 25 of the century. I was like, okay. All right. Next up, we have DeMeo wrote, 
I am the Mattel Cinematic Universe clip. How do these mixture of toxic chemicals come together to create such an iconic smell? Find out in Play-Doh Origins. Play-Doh Origins. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Sorry, I didn't, no, I didn't. I had to. I didn't. I didn't hear what you said at first. Um, all, John Carillo. I got a ton of hate for that. For that uh, TV post in that, but John Carillo wrote no mention of John Hamm. Unsubscribed. I mean, yeah, he's terrific. That's it for the Raider Raiders today. All right, I got a great five star review from iBisby3. I would happily beach both of these guys off. <laughs> a must listen for both those who want to expand knowledge on their favorite films and the cinephiles who are eager to debate the ending of Inception, Shutter Island, or any film that has any remotely interesting and vague ending. James and Anthony are both super fun and relaxed, except when you get them talking about Trader Joe's or their workout routines and listening to their in- intercompetitiveness leaves you laughing sporadically. Sporadically, and the people around you thinking you're Arthur Fleck. There's tons of content to go through, and I'm constantly going back to listen to older episodes and to see how far they've come in terms of quality and astuteness. I recommend this podcast to literally everyone I know who loves movies and or podcasts. Hopefully, their short film will do well in contests and release quickly, so we can do so we can tear it to shreds critically. <laughs> <laughs> also, Christopher Nolan said in an interview with Killian Murphy at a video store that the black and white scenes were. Lewis Strauss's perspective while the color was Oppenheimer's. Not that the black and white was objective perspective. So, unsubscribe. <laughs> Interesting. I get that. I get that. Oh, I thought it was just... He a- is like the lead of those scenes. Because I've... Well, I, I know that I saw that interview. I didn't see that question. But I've seen interviews where Christopher Nolan says objective, subjective. He said that the most, but I think... I watched that interview too, and it, he did specifically say it was Strauss's perspective, Strauss's which is why objective it's, perspective, yeah, yeah, which is why it's like against Oppenheimer in such a hard degree. That's in, yeah, you know, because Stra- you you can say Strauss is the lead of all of the black and white scenes, like yeah. he's the lead of those scenes. That's true. That's true. Well, thank you so much for the five star review, pal. Thanks, pal. That's thank, great. Thanks for beaching us off. Beached us off so hard. Let's get back into I'm our episode. Off. I'm curious about this movie in 2013 that that killing started. In. It's not a movie, bro. Peaky Blinders started in 2013. Oh my gosh. That's so why thing, it's the, on IMDb. The thing with IMDb is it goes up in the filmography list of its latest season. So on IMDb, it's like recent, but it started in 2013. Because I'm seeing a short film harried in the matches. Yeah, it's in a bunch of short films, so Peaky yeah. started in 2013. So right. Peaky started in 2013. It was a big hit in the UK, but then when it got put on Netflix, it blew up. It was like there's a couple of shows that's happened with. It happened with Breaking Bad. Once Breaking Bad got put on Netflix, it became a sensation. It was not, it was well respected and received and won awards, but it wasn't like the juggernaut of views that it was and went until it got put on Netflix. And the same thing happened with Peaky Blinders. And these are non Netflix shows yes, that got yeah. put on. Yeah. So Net- Peaky Blinders, I believe, was a BBC production. Yeah. Um, st- I love Peaky. It's one of my favorite shows of all time because it's so different and it blended. My, I love period pieces, and I love crime films and gangster films, and it blended the period setting with contemporary um, leniencies of filmmaking and music and sound sound design. So you had contemporary um, production and, and pr- contemporary perspective of the period piece story, which was such a great uh, contrast, and it meshed together so well where you have like that opening fight in the first episode to like a bluesy rock and roll track and you're like I've never seen anything like this before to use this kind of music contemporary music with this period setting 
it was just genius and the cast is so good i'm really shocked that this fil- this tv show has never gotten awards love ever like not even nominations like when you said he's only he was nominated for a globe for mm, breakfast on pluto like how does this show and killian and some of the other cast how are they not getting nominated for awards every year is beyond me because they are incredible helen mccroy is so amazing in this show she's really opposite Kelly Murphy such a great actor in this role but then we get Sam Neill is so great Tom Hardy Adrian Brody I mean the cast just gets extraordinary and it becomes a who's who of UK actors kind of like the Harry Potter series everybody like we get these people just coming in for like guest spots or the season's new spot Sam Claflin is outstanding in the last two seasons of Peaky Blinders. I love this show. The production design, cinematography, the acting, the costuming, and also the story. But it all comes down to Tommy. And it all comes down to Killian. And my God, this guy just carries this show on his shoulders. And he does so much. He goes through so much conflict and turmoil and transformation and emotional ups and downs. It's a really just a roller coaster of highs and lows of this guy. Um, and it's, you don't realize how great of an actor Killian Murphy is until you watch him in interviews and you see how, how casual he is, how, how he seems very kind hearted, but very low key and just kind of just like, just like a guy. But then you watch Thomas Shelby, you're like, that's the same guy. Are you kidding me? It's an incredible performance. And I, I really do stand by thinking it's one of the greatest of all times in TV. By order of the Peaky Blinders. Awesome. Yeah. I think you said everything that needs to be said. <laughs> But, I, I mean, I adore the show, I, and Stephen Knight is a great, great writer and director, and he's the creator and showrunner of Peaky Blinders, and there's a reason why it's caught on in such a fiery way around the world now. It's incredible. Oh, now, moving on to 2014, he was in Transcendence, the directorial debut from Wally Fisher, Christopher Nolan's former director of photography. He stopped working with him after Dark Knight Rises. Tried to direct with Transcendence, and it was a huge bomb. I haven't seen it since it came out. I don't even remember what character Killian plays. Killian plays, um, fuck, who does, it's him and Rebecca Hall are trying to investigate what happened, and they're trying to stop what happened with Johnny Depp's character. It's just not a good movie, and I've only seen it the one time. We saw it in theaters because we were very excited. It It had a great trailer and a great concept, but the execution was just so bad. And the script, I'm shocked that Nolan produced this because the script was so weak. And it got to be like the second half of the film was just kind of ridiculous. Nanobot technology is a major part of the film as well. And it just got to be a little absurdist. The first 30 minutes is great though. But Killian has a supporting role in the film. Morgan Freeman's also in the film. Yeah, it's kind of like watching a Batman movie. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I'm sure Wally and the actors loved working together and Nolan as the producer, Emma Thomas as the producer, working with people they like working with, you know? Um, so they, they just, it was just like kind of like a Nolan cast in a movie that was not a Nolan movie. Um, it has the look of a Nolan movie, obviously, because Wally Pfister shot all of Nolan's films as the director of this film. But this movie, it shocked me how bad it was. Um, it's okay. It's just okay. The third act is really... It just it got pretty, pretty insane. And um, Wally has not directed a film since. Wally Pfister has become an extremely successful commercial director. Like you see, 
he's shooting car commercials and ads for the biggest companies in the world. So he's doing fine. He's doing very, very, very well, but he's just not making movies anymore. And I think this is a reason it's because he got a big shot. He got a hundred million dollar budget and it lost a lot of money and was horribly received by critics and audiences. So it's just, it was just a misfire all around. Yeah. I, I feel like he should have done something smaller for his first I film. I agree. I agree. On a budget of $100 million, it grossed $100 million, which means it probably lost 50 to $100 million because they were. this was a big movie. What's there. its rating? On IMDb, it's a 6.2. Very low. It's pretty It's pretty poor. And then, for, I mean, Johnny Depp has a great track record, for so people who had high expectations for this film. Yeah, I was very excited about it and super disappointed by it. Moving on to 2015, he was in The Heart of the Sea, the Ron Howard film. Lost at Sea. It's very good. Dick film. Yeah, it's um, Chris Hemsworth, Tom Holland, Kelly Murphy, and a bunch of other um, B-tier actors. Uh, basically, shipwreck movie. It's about the story that inspired Moby Dick um, and, the, and the crew that were encountered by that whale, and all of them died except for one. Um, Killian's very good in it, but again, he's not the lead. Hemsworth's the lead. Then moving up, 2016 is an anthropoid and free fire. Free Fire we talked about earlier. Great ensemble cast. Yeah, Ben Whitley. Pretty good maybe. movie. Yeah. Almost great. Lots of fun. It's just a fun shoot 'em up, yeah. basically. It's just a it's a drug deal, a, a gun deal gone wrong. A bunch of characters from either side of the deal in a big warehouse, and then the deal goes sour, and then it's just basically a shootout for the whole film. It's it's fun concept. It works. Yeah. And then 2017, he's in the party, and then Dunkirk, one of the best movies he's ever been in. This um amazing war movie, and I we did a Nolan ranking. And you might be surprised where I put this movie in my Nolan ranking. Yeah, because that episode has not aired. Comes yet. out after this one. Comes out on yeah. Thursday. Thursday next Thursday. Or, yeah, next Thursday yeah, with the Popcorn Podcast. And I think Doug Dunkirk is an exceptional film. It's really one of its kind in the war genre. And Nolan, I think, achieved a level of artistry that he hadn't done yet. And in terms of filmmaking, and Killian plays Shivering Soldier, like we said earlier, supporting role. Very important to he basically represents an entire group of soldiers who came back shell shocked, never the same. To show his character represents the horrors of war. Yeah, and then moving up into 2018, he's in independent film The Delinquent Quest, as well as a short film The Overcoat. And in 2019, he's in Anna. And then 2020, you would know him best for being in A Quiet Place Part Two, which was an excellent sequel to the groundbreaking original A Quiet Place. Yeah, I thought it was so good. I thought it was a really wonderful second film. Uh, obviously, it didn't get as much love as the first one, which is, like you said, I mean, it's an amazing horror film. But I love A Quiet Place Part Two, and it was one of my favorite movies of 2020. 2020 was a weird year, obviously. Um, I expected it to get, actually get some awards love because it was so well-crafted, uh, but it did not. And I was expecting maybe a couple of acting categories, maybe for supporting actress, but it didn't get anything. But in 2020, it was definitely... The Invisible Man and A Quiet Place Part Two were the best horror movies of the year. Yeah, and it's great because Killian's in another post-apocalyptic world, that, yeah. essentially. And he's played two physicists and he's played two survivors <laughs> in his career so far. And and it's an awesome role. And he's very he's ambiguous for a little for a while until he really yeah. takes initiative to be a protector for the third act of the film. Yeah, he plays a man who lost everything. He lost his entire family. Now he's just basically rejecting everything and putting himself in a bubble. And now. When it comes time to, is there, there's a, another, I can make another family, I can make connections with other people and try and protect that. It's a really great character arc for him in the film. And I, I really like it. I, I adore it. And 
Krasinski said he cast him because he loved Peaky Blinders so much. That's good casting. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was in another short in 2021. It's crazy he does these short films That's still. Great. Yeah. And then obviously Oppenheimer, his most recent film, which came out this year. Still in theaters. If you haven't seen it, I don't know what you've been doing. <laughs> Past $500 million at the global box office. Insanely good performance as J. Robert Oppenheimer. It's, it's unlike anything he's ever done before. And he really disappeared into this character like I don't think we've ever seen before. Because Peaky, he's great as Thomas Shelby. But in terms of disappearing into the role, I think Oppenheimer is his greatest work as an artist, as an actor, in his entire career, and may be the crowning jewel of his entire artistic endeavors as an actor once his career is over with. So what a phenomenal performance. He did a two-and-a-half-hour breakdown, three hours on this movie. That's a good one. That I highly recommend checking it out. It's our biggest episode of the year. And holy crap, what a performance. Yeah, he does so much with the film and its performance, and the accent is really wonderful. And there's something like he does this thing with his eyes in this film, and then when you look at when you look at photos of Oppenheimer, his his eyes are like often wide open. You know what I mean? And he captured that in this film, where there are moments where his eyes just like go so wide open that you can see the whites above his um, what are, what are they called? Not the iris. iris. People. Wait, the whole the whole thing is the iris. The pupil isn't the pupil just the, the black dot. the black part. All right, so the the whites above and below his his iris, which is like his eye. He captured the like the the gaunt expression of Oppenheimer that you often see in the footage and photos if you look them up. But the physicality of the performance and there's just it's just incredible. And like you said, he disappears. I think the accent helps with helping allowing him to disappear. Whereas Peaky, he still got and. It's not an Irish accent, but for American ears, it's close to it. <laughs> um, but I think it will be his career-defining performance because before this, Peaky was his career-defining. But I mean, great actors, they're defined by multiple great performances. So, But I do think that this is the performance of the year. It's the movie of the year, um, probably of the decade too. And it's something that it's just so great to see online how Killian has blown up. Now people are memeing him now, video memes of him in his older movies, and he's become, in a way, the most talked about actor of the moment, which I think is just so well-deserved because of not just his amazing career leading up to this, but because of what he did with Oppenheimer. Just really sensational work. The IMDb star meter, which, so IMDb has a meter for the movies, popularity, TV shows, popularity, and actor popularity in terms of, like, at the moment, he's number two. Which is insane. He's probably never been that high in his career. Never, yeah. What's number one? Um, uh, uh, let me check. I bet it's Margot. Or Gosling. Still hot right now. Killian's still hot right now. I don't think I can find out until unless I have. Oh, IMDb you need the pro. pro. You need pro. Yeah. You need IMDb Pro. So, so look at the list. We yeah. can't find out who number one is right now. But Let's I'm, take I'm them out. It probably is Margot. It's probably Margot. Yeah, I would say that. Or Gosling. One of those two. But I mean, just to hear Killian's name as with them is incredible. And, you know, Oppenheimer, if he doesn't win an Oscar, I will be shocked. And, you know, playing a character, different stages of their life. He had the he's the perfect age, I think, to play the young version. He still pulls off the young look, the elderly one of Oppenheimer and the middle aged Oppenheimer. It's just an, a sensational role. And he was, it seems like he was born to play it. And, and you knew he could lead something like this. And he's got the charisma. He's got the draw for the audience. And he is impossible to take your eyes off when he's on screen. 
Yeah, he the thing with Killian, he, he has a very striking face. So photogenic. It's yeah. The high cheekbones, the the blue eyes, the the structure, like the he's square. Just, yeah, he's yeah. just got something about him. It's alluring. That's that's what makes that's I think is important for a movie star to have to have like the it's not so much that they're just so attractive, but like interesting to look at. And that's what makes a movie star. They're not just the acting, but can the audience like be pulled to them visually just from their the way they look. Killian's one of those actors where his face just like draws you in. There's just something about you've never seen a face like his before. It's a presence. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, and there's just it's just your 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 brain likes to look at it. That's <laughs> as simple 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 as it is. It's just like you just like to see it. And that's I think it helps become a movie star to have that kind of striking, attractive nature to the way they look. Yeah, and that's that's it right now. He's got a voiceover role coming out. He probably took a break because he apparently this is a demanding role. Um, the other actors I saw in interviews and, and from his own interviews said that he committed completely to the role. He had to keep his food at a minimum. He was basically keeping his weight down. He seems like he's about 110 pounds. Yeah, he said that it, Matt Damon and Emily Blunt were in an interview and they said that they went out to dinner every night, the whole cast um, and Nolan just having dinner every night. And then they would invite Killian every time and every time Killian would say, no, I can't eat anything. I, gotta, I just got to go to bed. So... He, he put a lot into it, and in a way, I didn't go method exactly, but in terms of preparation and committing to the performance, uh, apparently he put everything into it. more. And he's Killian said it was the hardest he ever worked on a role. It was also the most challenging role he's ever done, obviously. But I'm sure after it, he was like, I need to take a break. And now he's like, imagine the plethora of scripts he has to choose from right now. Anything he wants. Yeah, pretty much anything he wants. Yeah. Which is awesome to hear for such a, a loved actor. I'm finally yeah. catching his his biggest break yet in his career at the age of 47. It's incredible to see. And I can't wait to see the rest of his career going forward. Yeah. I'm so curious what he's going to do next. Yeah, I mean, I, I think all eyes are on, like, what's Killian going to do? What's he going to do next? It's really, really interesting. And yeah, what an incredible film. All right, that's... That's Killian Murphy's career. Cillian Murphy's <laughs> What a sensational actor. It was so fun to talk about him because we love this guy so much. Always Thank have. you so much for tuning in to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Again, leave those five-star ratings and reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Take, see you next time. Take, take care. And, and see it. See it. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> This episode was executive produced by our Chosen One patrons, Cody Moen, Andrew Hagen, Becca Keene, Benjamin Cook, Calvin Murphy-Griggs, Nicholas Martin, Darian, Tyler McFly, and Sal Koching. Our Chosen One patrons are our biggest supporters. Thank you so much. Thank you for watching Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit the like button as well, notifications for sure. Listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you can listen to podcasts. And be sure to check out this other content we have on our YouTube channel.